Well, we're in the book of Exodus, and so if you'll find your place in Exodus 17, and those of you who are joining us uh, remotely, we're glad that you're with us. May the Lord bless you. We miss you. Hope you can be with us when you can, and good evening to all of you who are here. Happy New Year. It is 2022. Has everybody got that in your calendar? I guess your phone already told you that, didn't it? Well, we follow Moses and the children of Israel on, and we seem to be thinking, well, salvation is such a wonderful thing. God's salvation is so good. They witnessed and saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, and they sang praise to God. I'm back in Exodus 14. Uh, Thus uh, the, the Lord saved Israel. This is 1430 that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in His servant Moses. They sing praise to God, and then they find themselves. So salvation, they are so grateful for the salvation of God, they sing praise to God, They think that God has saved them. And then all the problems start in their life. You get saved and all the problems come. It doesn't seem right, does it? And so they find themselves grumbling. Wait a minute, we just read this. Uh, The people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord. And they believed in His servant Moses. But something happens. They begin their travels following the Lord who has saved them. They're following the Lord who saved them. And all of a sudden, the people grumbled at Moses. 15.24 What shall we drink? What shall we drink? And it only gets worse. The congregation of the sons of Israel. 16.2 They grumbled against Moses and Aaron. Would you that we had died at the Lord's hand in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat, which by the way they hated, for you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. And then God provides meat, 16.8 and following, and He provides the miracle of miracles, the bread that they would eat for 40 years. Manna. Remember what manna is called in Hebrew? What is it? That's what it means in Hebrew. What is it? What is this? Well, it's God's provision for you. And it comes every day. And you receive it. But on one day of, of the, on the, on the Friday before Saturday, you take double, you, sh- you collect double the amount because the next day you don't take it. And if you do take it on that other day, well, it's just going to rot because you won't obey God. Oh, how strange the work of God's salvation is among the children of Israel. So God again provides for them as they're making their way across the wilderness. God is leading them through the wilderness. God God saved them through the Red Sea and He continues to save them. Listen to me tonight. Listen to me tonight. And He leads them to the dark wilderness place. He takes them to the places where there are no resources, 
There's nothing for them and they don't know what to do. And so the natural thing is to complain to the leader and to grumble to God. And God continues to provide. Then the Lord teaches them Sabbath. What do you do when you follow God and when you're saved? You practice Sabbath. This is, by the way, prior to the giving of the law of God in Exodus 20. So what do we see? I'm just taking you back through now. Exodus 16, beginning in 22, the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, the manna, and then tomorrow is a Sabbath. It is rest. We learned and we talked about it. Oh, how I'm looking in your eyes and you're looking into mine. We all look pretty tired tonight. Some of us look worse than others. The women look great. The men here, they need some work. I can tell you they need some work. Watch it, Gerald. So you see, the Sabbath was the time to rest. To te- all right, no more grumbling in the galleys or we'll have you ushered out. Then the Lord said, How long do you refuse to keep My commandments? 16.28 and, and receive My instructions. The Lord saves us and He says, Will you not do what I'm directing you to do? I save you. I give you direction on how to live. Just do what I'm calling you to do. What do I have to do? How much more do I have to do for you, Israel, for you to know that I am saving you and taking care of you. What I ha- where I'm leading you, listen, what I'm giving you is the best for you. It's the best for you. Uh, 29, 16. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, He gives you bread for two days. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people rested on the seventh day. And then 35, the sons of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border of the land of Cana. Don't miss this. God, when He saves us and takes us through these wilderness places, gives us the provisions we need for the whole journey. He never comes up short He never leaves us without help. He never never neglects us. So, how interesting it is to see the salvation of God. He saves us and leads us into the wilderness of this world. He saves us and leaves us in the world. Now, you are my friends and I've had a lot of interesting comments about what I'm about to start preaching on on Sunday, dead to the world. So you got saved and you're still in the world. How's that look? It's a sad thing to be witnessing what we see in the world system today. But it's where we are. We're not in heaven. As much as we like Dixon County, we are in the world. And so the Lord saves us and He leads us in this world, this wilderness. Follow Israel now. Lo, behold, 17.1, they continue to journey in the wilderness. God leads them deeper into the barren places, 17.1. And they encamp at Rephidim. Now they're here at Rephidim. And before they were at Elam in 16, now they're at Rephidim. 
These are millions of people who are being led by Moses and the, they're moving this into all of their animals. All Get this in your mind. Just the logistical nightmare of it. And lo and behold, God, you would think God would know how to lead you to the good place, the place with abundance, and He leads them to even a more pitiful place. He leads them to Rephidim, and there's no water for them to drink, and so they're begging again, give us water to drink, 17.2. And so what does the Lord do? Well, He again provides for them, and He provides for them as He had done before waters by throwing the branch in at Elam, and it sweetened the waters, and then providing them with manna to eat for 40 years, and meat to eat along their way. This is God's way, isn't it? Here we are in this wilderness of the world and we must trust God. I think that's a good thing, don't you? Trusting God is a good thing. How did our Lord say it to all of us, my brothers and sisters? The Lord knows what you need before you ask. Did you hear it? The Lord knows what you need before you ask. We're here. Lord, I'm here. And the Lord says, yes. And I know exactly what you need. So here we are again. A big problem. Millions of people and animals have no water and they're in the deepest, deepest, most barren place in the wilderness. And so what does God do? Moses cries out to God. God says, pass before the people. Take some of the elders. This is the 17.5. Take the rod in your hand and... Then stand before them at the rock of Horeb, at the base of the mount of God, and strike the rock. <clears throat> In the midst, not, notice, not of all the people. God never intended for the leaders, Moses, this is a very important point for modern Christians, God never intended for His leaders to be rock stars. God never intended for preachers to be famous. He, he, he intends them to be slaves who do their job, not fancy, pretty, cute boys. But anyway, you can tell that I'm going off somewhere. I'm not jealous. I'm simply saying it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. When a preacher cares more about what people think about how he looks and what he wears than what he preaches, He's in a bad place. Well, there you go. Wherever that goes in the internet world, it's permanently there. And I'm glad. <laughs> so what did he do? He takes a few, not even all the elders. So you've got to read your Bible carefully. He takes a few of the elders. Some of us think, you know, this uh, Hollywood deal, he stands there in the rock and hits the rock and it just flows out. Boy, and the masses see it all. Well, they're out there complaining they have nothing to drink. Think about millions of people. It takes a long, lot, lot of land there. for. The, so they're just out there complaining, belly aching. I'm sure they're sitting in their tent saying, we've got to have change in leadership. This is ridiculous. What in the world are we going to do? Blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden the water starts coming. Wait a minute. Where, where's all this water coming from? Well, where it's come from every time. God who provides. He named the place Masa Meribah because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel and because they, listen, tested the Lord. 
Here's what they said. This is the danger. God has saved me. God is leading me. I'm in places I don't understand, having to be provided in such ways. And if I complain... Nothing for me. I am provoking God. I am tempting God. Is the Lord among us or not? Look at that unbelievable statement in Exodus 17, 7. Then we pick it up tonight. God is a God who saves us. He leads us. They had the miracle of the pillar of cloud by day, fire by night. They had the continued provision of God in the wilderness of water and of food. Sudden, God's saving me, but this Amalekite, he shows up with his armies to fight Israel in the middle of the wilderness. Now they have a fight. Now they have an enemy. God has led them into a miserable land with nothing, and now they have an enemy. Who seeks that? I thought Pharaoh was gone, but now on the other side of the river, you have this Amalek. Then Amalek came and fought against Israel at Rephidim, the place where the waters flooded, and God provided. Amalek shows up, coming after Israel. To destroy them. So Moses says to Joshua. Now Joshua comes into our story. The one who would be told by God later, Moses is dead. That's right. Moses is dead. You follow me. So choose men for us and go out fight against Amalek. Tomorrow I will station myself on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. Joshua did as Moses told him and fought against Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Joshua and all of the armies of Israel are fighting. And on top of the hill are Moses, Aaron, and Hur with the staff of God, the rod of God. So it came about when Moses held his hand up, Israel prevailed when he let his hand down, Amalek prevailed, but Moses' hands were heavy. Then they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side, one on the other. Thus his hands were steady until the sun set. So Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. So there was victory for God's people over their enemy in the wilderness, another act of God saving them. Did you know God saved you today from the enemy? You may not have even known it. I'm talking about the real enemy. I'm talking about the adversary. I'm talking about the one that the modern people of the world who live in their confidence of human progress and achievement, which sounds like a joke to me in the days in which we live. Doesn't look like much achievement going on right now in the world, nor has there ever been. I'm talking about the old devil. I'm talking about the adversary who comes after your soul, who is interested in doing everything he can as you as a believer to discredit you and destroy your witness 
and stop the work of God through the church. That's your enemy. We're saved and yet we're still having to deal with a worse enemy in many ways than Pharaoh. Amalek is defeated. God triumphs through the work of His people doing what they do and the rod being held up God prevails. And notice 14, Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this in a book as a memorial. We're reading it tonight. We're reading it tonight thousands of years later. Moses records this and recite it to Joshua, that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under the heavens. And there will be a day when the chain will finally be removed and the restraining will be removed and the devil will do his final work. Those days are closer than they've ever been. And because of that work, what will happen? He'll be finally thrown in to the eternal lake of fire and burn forever and ever and ever and ever. Eternal destruction is for the devil. Moses built an altar and named the place Yahweh Nissi. Yahweh Nissi, or some of your Bibles read it, if you have King James, Jehovah Nissi. This is one of those great glorious names of our God. Jehovah Nissi. The Lord is the banner. Well, it's an army phrase. The banner's set up and the army rallies to the banner. Who do we rally to? We rally to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is Yahweh Nissi. He is Yahweh Nissi. Praise God. And the Lord has sworn the Lord will have war against Amalek from generation to generation. And the war, though is completely taken care of through the cross of Jesus Christ, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You're not fighting with people. You're fighting with an enemy. These powers and principalities and world forces of darkness that are scattered across this globe that the God of the world seems to marshal and it seems to overwhelm the church and the church seems so pathetic and pitiful in the days in which we live but we follow Yahweh Nissi. We rally to follow Jesus Christ. We're saved and we're still fighting We're saved and we're still fighting. We're fighting against the one who is the enemy of God. All right, chapter 18. So here's the focal truth. There are two things I want you to see. I I didn't add the second one, but I added it later today. God provided Moses with wise counsel as the leader of God's people, but before that, I should have said, God provided Moses with Helpers in his work. <clears throat> I had the opportunity to uh, make a, a, a brief little video thing for my uh, dear pastor friend, Brother Phil Neighbors. Brother Phil's been here one time. Uh, it was many years ago. A lot of you weren't here. Some of you really old people. If you haven't lost your mind, you may have remembered when he came. And Brother Phil's my dear friend. I've known Brother Phil since I was 17 years old. Uh, went to college with him, and we all went to California together with our families many years ago when all of our families thought we were insane, out of our minds. 
and we did what God called us to do. But anyway, uh, I had the chance to say congratulations to him. He pastored at uh, Valley Baptist Church and still does in Bakersfield, California for 32 years. Now, that's, that's a pretty good record. All right, thank you, dear. I, you know, do I look that pitiful? All right. I'm not going to blow my nose. Thank you. So, it won't do any good. It just keeps rolling, but... I'm saying all this to say, Brother Phil, Brother Roger, myself, we had the opportunity to do that work in California and start those churches. It was, it was wonderful. It was great. Uh, but you do what you do together with other people. You do the work of God together. So we don't just read here that when they were fighting, Moses goes up on the mountain with the rod of God Joshua and the others fight. There's the helpers. They're fighting. Moses is doing his part. And he's got good helpers, Aaron and Hur, with him. And there they are on top of the hill. Everyone at their station. Everyone at their spot. So I was congratulating Brother Phil on making it to the end of his work. 32 years as a pastor anyway is a tremendous accomplishment. I don't know if you've ever known anybody's pastored that long. But uh, he still looks pretty good for that many years of dealing with what you deal with as a pastor. And God's blessed that church uh, that he and Roger have continued to pastor. So we find here an example of how God brings people together to do His work in different places. Just like you're here. Just like this church. Uh, just like those who gather and come to be with us and join this church and have in many years, through the years, in all the different ways, they jo we join together. We come from different places. We come from different backgrounds. And God collects us together here at First Baptist. I can only speak of this church. I'm the pastor of this church. I pray God's blessing on every church in Dixon. That's not my responsibility. Uh, the Lord. Of his churches, I'm 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 here trying to follow what the Lord wants us to do. He's in charge of this church, but you're here too as God's people. I want you to see the 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 importance in chapter 18, as we saw in 17, the end here of how God's people are provided for the work of God. Moses isn't the only one here. Moses isn't the star of Exodus. Moses is the one who is called, and as, I, as I've titled this whole Bible study, he's a man who heard from God. He was a leader. That's what leaders do. They hear from God. They do their part as spiritual leaders. But along with that, God brings them helpers. So now all of a sudden we find another helper coming along. We also see in this the meekness of Moses. Chapter 18, verse 1, Now Jethro, the priest of Midian, some, some Hebrew translations have this as the, as the uh, prince of Midian. We, we, we're not going to worry about that tonight. Moses, you, your Bibles, you have a lot of you have study Bibles, you can chase that rabbit all you want. Now Jethro was the father-in-law of Moses. And he heard all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. He's heard about it. The father-in-law hears about the fame of God that's been done through the work of his son-in-law. So here's another one God brings to him, his father-in-law. We see in the meekness of Moses how he receives counsel. I'm going to say something about this in a moment and try to get to it. I don't want to be done. But you know, there's a real, 
there's a real element of your spiritual maturity. There's a real mark of whether or not you are a true, genuine, humble follower of Jesus as to whether or not you live in rebellious independence and unwillingness to receive counsel. And I use those words very carefully. Rebellious independence. What was the Lord trying to do to the churches in the book of Revelation? Give them counsel. But He comes to the last of them, the rich church Laodicea. You say, I have need of nothing. I hope that's not true of anyone who hears my voice tonight. I hope that you're not a believer, that you actually believe that you are so independent you don't need anybody else in your life. That is rebellious independence and a lack of humility and meekness. Moses was the meekest man ever on the earth. I'm going to show you an example here. A lot of us in here have father-in-laws. <laughs> You've got your own stories about your father-in-laws. You have your own opinions about your father-in-laws. But nevertheless, the father-in-law hears about all that God has done. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Moses' wife and his two sons. For whatever reason, they were with him. Remember, Moses knew the land they were in now. This is where he, this is where he met God at Horeb and saw the burning bush. Moses is back to familiar territory. God's brought him back to where he was, but he's brought a million plus two million people with him and all their animals. And God is leading. So Jethro comes back with his, with his daughter and Moses' wife and the two boys. And we see their names there uh, given to us, Gershom and Eliezer. And I have been a sojourner in the foreign land. That's Gershom. And then we have Eliezer, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Those things are not what I'm focusing on tonight. My focus is this. God sends helpers to help God's people do their work. First, it was the work of Joshua, Hur, and Aaron to help Moses. Now it's Moses' father-in-law. So the word comes that he is coming. Verse 7, here's the meekness of Moses. Here's humility. Here's the way. Though America doesn't teach this very well. Hopefully your mama taught you. And the mamas who are in here are teaching theirs. Then Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and he bowed down and kissed him and they asked each other about their welfare and they went into the tent. There's a lot in that verse, isn't there? Greeting, welcoming, showing humility, showing respect and honor, all of these things are the things that we must do. Moses could have said, well, it's about time you got here. Where in the world have you been? Blah, blah, blah. I'm in charge of this. Do you know what I've been through? Blah, blah. No. We don't hear any of that in Moses the leader. We see in Moses here this one who comes and he is grateful. He is respectful. He humbles himself, bows down to his father-in-law, and then asks him about how he's doing. And then what does he do? Verse 8, he gives his testimony. 
He says, let me tell you what the Lord has done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake. All the hardships that have befallen them on their journey. He talks about all of it. He talks about Elam. He talks about Rephidim. He talks about Amalek. He talks about no, no food for them. He talks about how God had to provide them with meat. He talked about the bitter water. And Jethro, look at this now. He hears the testimony of Moses. And Jethro rejoiced over all the goodness which the Lord had done to Egypt in delivering them from the land of the Egyptians. And he breaks out in praise. We don't know the true condition of this man, Jethro. We, we don't know his true understanding of, you know, as some have speculated and the rabbis say, you know, he was a God-fearer. He was not a, a one who worshipped many gods. He was, you know, he was a monotheist, as they call it. We don't know. Again, speculation. It's in the Jewish uh, rabbinic traditions. It's not in the Word of God for us. We don't have a lot of direction here. Blessed be the Lord God who delivered you. By the way, he says, blessed be Yahweh. This is what Jethro says. Blessed be Yahweh. Remember when your Bible reads with Lord in all uppercase, that is Yahweh. Blessed be Yahweh who delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians, from the hand of Pharaoh, delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that Yahweh is greater than all the gods. Indeed, it was proven when they dealt proudly against the people. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, they took him. They had a burnt offering and sacrifice to God. And Aaron came with all the elders, and they ate a meal with Moses' father-in-law. And notice what it says. They ate this meal before the Lord. Before the Lord. And it came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people and the people. So then Moses goes back to work. <laughs> but I, I, subject, I submit to you, is this really the work of Moses? Is this really what Moses is supposed to be doing? I'm bringing this thought in here. It came about the next day that Moses sat to judge the people. We didn't really see that in the call of Moses at the burning bush. But here we find Moses. And he's judging the people. Please look at the language now. This is the language of a man who was there and saw it. And the people stood about Moses from morning until evening. There they are. Here sits Moses. And here's all this mass of these people standing around, waiting around to see Moses all day long. All day long. Now when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, what is this thing you are doing for the people? What is this you're doing? Interesting how sometimes, are you listening to me tonight, God will bring somebody in your life that you least expect would know anything and God uses them to speak to you. You know, God used a donkey to speak to a hard-hearted, hard mindless prophet. Uh, now, listen to what God's saying through this one He sent. What is this you're doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge and all the people stand about you from morning until evening? <coughs> Moses said, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. 
And when they have a dispute, it comes to me, and I judge between a man and his neighbor, and I make known the statutes of God and His laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that you are doing is not good. Well, wait a minute. I'm, I'm, teach, I'm talking about God's Word. I'm, I'm trying to be with the people. I'm trying to do the things I'm supposed to do to help them. And Jethro says, The thing that you are doing is not good, for you will surely wear your you will for you will surely wear out both yourself and these people who are with you, for the task is too heavy for you. You cannot do it alone. Now listen to me. I will give you counsel and God will be with you. You be the people's representative before God and you bring the disputes to God. Then teach them the statutes and the laws and make known to them the way in which they are to walk and the work they are to do. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who have hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. Let them judge the people at all times, and let it be that every major dispute they will bring to you uh, but every minor dispute they themselves will judge, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this thing, and God so commands you, then you will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So he receives counsel. So Moses could have said, well, first of all, where have you been all the time I've been doing this? You're, you haven't been here. So, and, and who qualified you to be able to tell me how to do my work? Have you ever led two million people? You know, here we go. But we read these wonderful words in 24. Here is a man who demonstrated meekness. Moses listened to his father-in-law and did all that he had said. This is a statement of meekness. This is a statement of teachability. This is a statement of receiving wise counsel. So Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, leaders of thousands, etc. They judged the people at all times. The difficult disputes they would bring to Moses, but every major, every minor dispute they themselves would judge. Then Moses bade his father-in-law farewell and he went his way into his own land. God provided people for the fight with Amalek to do His work. They did it together. Are you listening? Then God provided Moses with advice, counsel, wise counsel. And then God provided another set of leaders who became judges to help with the disputes and the issues and the, the situations that take place among God's people. And they were blessed and they were at peace a great important matter was settled for Israel. So what do I want us to think about tonight? I want to get to things to remember. Well, Moses was able to do his work for God because he prioritized his time on God's calling on his life. I believe there was an adjustment here because of what's about to happen. Because in the next verses, 19.1, in the third month after the sons of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, at that very day they came to the wilderness of Sinai, 
Now, when they set out from Rephidim, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. It even got, it even got more barren. They camped in the wilderness there. They encamped in front of the mountain, the mountain of God. And what happened? Moses went up to God. Moses went up to God. No more judging the people. He has a job to do. He has to hear from God and lead the people of God. And we are about to, we are about to read in the weeks ahead of the most amazing thing of all. The Ten Commandments are written by the hand of God and given to Moses. You see, in order for Moses to do the work he was called to do, he had to make some adjustments in his life. And I'm talking to all of you as followers of Jesus. There's no hierarchy among God's people. We all have a mission for God. We all have service for God. God has called each of you to gospel ministry and work. Some of us are called to be equippers and trainers. But we are all called. I'm asking you tonight if you must prioritize, reprioritize your life in order to do the calling of God for ministry in your life. Moses was with the people all day. Please notice, I put it in your notes, but he was not with God all day. He's about to go be with God for 40 days and that really aggravates the people. Moses is gone. Where is he? What good is a leader who just prays all the time? (laughs) That's interesting to think about. God provides wise counselors for us to help us to live to the glory of God. The reason why I mentioned Brother Phil is because we had some wonderful men in our lives. We were 26-year-old boys. We, we had no clue. We were clueless. I'm not saying 26-year-olds are not smart and they don't know things, but they're pretty clueless. They don't have a clue. And we didn't know what to do, but oh, lo and behold, God sends these people to you, men and women, who tried to help us uh, understand the better way. And God sends people like that into your life, but I don't know if you see them. I don't know if you've paid attention. Here they come and there they go. Did you miss them? God sends them to you because He has assignments for all of us so that we get our gospel work done, so that Jesus might come. I don't care how old you are in this room tonight. There's never a time when you're you're not needing advice and counsel. There's never a time when you're not needing to adjust your schedule and your priorities. You know, I should blow the little New Year's thing. 2022, reset your priorities. Quit doing some of the things you've been doing. Reset things in order to glorify God and to do the ministries God has called you to do. So Moses was wise and received wise counsel. I'm going to give you this set of verses. I'm going to read them. I do want to say this. Lots of Christians want to be advisors. Boy, I know that up here at the church as a pastor. I I I appreciate it. I need all the help I can get. Just be nice when you give me your advice. You don't have to be mean about it. You really don't. I mean, if you're all worked up about it, then that, that's not helpful. You don't have to be worked up about it. I'm glad to receive it. I want to hear it. I think it's important. Uh, 
lots of Christians want to advise people. But, but I'm, I'm surprised that these same people don't want to be advised or to receive counsel even from their spiritual leaders. They've pretty much settled what they need to know and they're in a position like Pharisees and as they tried to straighten the Lord Jesus out. A wise man will hear an increase in learning. A wise woman will hear an increase in learning. And a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. You go acquire, you're, you're on an acquisition. Oh, you business people. You're acquiring. What are you going to acquire? Well, we need to acquire this new training and we need to acquire this, that, and the other and these properties and blah, blah, blah. How about this? Go acquire wise counsel. That's right. Go ask for it. Some of you people above 60 in here. You've been acquiring any wise counsel lately? I hope you're not saying you're getting it from the news. I, I really mean that. Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but the abundance of counselors, there's victory. We need it. We need to share it with one another. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But a wise man or woman is he who listens to counsel. Moses listened to his father-in-law. In my work in ministry, and I'm not complaining, I'm just making an observation. It's interesting. So you sit with people and sometimes people come to you and they want to talk about things and I'm glad they come. I really am. I'm grateful. And we start to talk about things so we begin to talk about it and I realize quickly that they're not really appreciating what I'm saying because that's not what they wanted to hear. Listening means that we don't have a set of expectations when someone comes to us. We listen to what they have to say. We listen. We, we drop our guard. We listen as people come our way. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, which means I don't really need any help or advice. I pretty well got it. Hey, everything's good with me. That's not true. It's a lie. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to counsel, and wisdom is with those who receive counsel. Did you see it? Proverbs 13.10. You want to be a wise person? Receive counsel. Listen to those who come and mean the best for you. That's what they mean to say to you. Receive it. Receive it. Listen to counsel and accept discipline. That's a good one that you may be wise the rest of your days. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors they succeed. By wise guidance you will wage war. That's what we're in. And in abundance of counselors there's victory. Oil and perfume. Maybe some of you got a lot of this for Christmas. Oils and perfumes. You know, you feel better when you put all that stuff on, don't you? It's just like kind of like... Our little two-year-old, he sprays it everywhere. It's just you spray it around. Oil and perfume make the hearts glad. Some of you plug in those smelly things that make everything... Oil and perfume make the heart glad. So a man's counsel is sweet to his friend. 
Think back in your life as we finish here about those times when you have received wise counsel, listen, and how it saved your bacon. It saved you from some terrible decisions. And then turn it. This is my story. Think about the times when you did not receive wise counsel and the devastation that came in your life. Well, God is gracious. Moses, the leader, built a team to assist him in the work he was doing. And God has equipped His people in the church with spiritual gifts for service and ministry to one another. It's one of my most favorite verses in all the Bible. Romans 1, I'm just about done, stay with me. Romans, excuse me, Romans 16, 1. No, excuse me, Romans 16, 3. This is Paul's greeting of all of those wonderful dear people who are doing so much work for God in, in Rome. We wonder why the Roman church was so powerful in the, early, in the early church. Look at this. This is an astounding statement from Paul the Apostle. Greet Prisca and Aquila. The wife, by the way, is first. The woman's first. Greet Prisca, yeah, Romans 16.3. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. Listen who for my life risk their own necks, to whom not only do I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles. So, before you say, oh, who am I and what can I do? These were tent makers. That's what these people were. They were not this genius rabbi with all the background of Paul. They made tents, but they were saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And they did as much as Paul, did you read that? For all the churches of the Gentiles. And they were Jews. Well, you're equipped too. And you have a ministry. And you have work to do. And when you are, when you are doing your work for God, listen... The Lord's going to send you wonderful people to help guide you. But you must receive it in meekness and in humility. Just as James says you receive the Word implanted with humility, there must be a removal of our arrogance and rebellious independence. It is a disgrace to God and it stops the work of God in the church. And I'm talking about our church. So with all that said, we have a common, wonderful, glorious counselor. It is the Holy Spirit of God. The counselor. I'm so grateful for the counselor. As many as are led by the Spirit, that means you're led by the counselor. Are you led by the counselor? Listen. Stay with me. I'm, I'm finishing. I know you got to go get your kids. I'm actually trying to bless you from your kids not being with you for a few more minutes. I'm giving you a few more minutes of peace. You should appreciate that. Say, thank you, Pastor Mike. You're welcome. I won't go for much longer, though. You have to hurry up and go because then the teachers will be down here with their uh, forks, pitchforks, and knives, and they'll be pounding on the door. We praise God for the counsel of the Holy Spirit given to us. Listen, for all the days of our journey to heaven. That is what we're grateful for, are we not? 
the blessed presence of the Holy Spirit, and lo and behold, He sends Spirit-filled people to give us wise counsel. And you know what? Some of the wisest counselors in our lives are totally different from us. They may lack education, or they may like, they may like business sense, or they may lack... Don't underestimate those that God sends to you. Receive what He sends and who He sends to the praise of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Remember, the Lord is near. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, bless Your Word tonight. May the Holy Spirit be our teacher. May we learn tonight the blessedness of living in humility and meekness. Thank You. Some of us can say this from all the years. Thank You for the wonderful, blessed, glorious kind, wise, counseled people who have come our way to help us. May we not become rebellious, independent, refusing, and not submitting to wise counsel. May we receive it so that we might further your gospel to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we do pray, come Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.